You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm joined by the chair and several co-chairs from the New York Statewide Peer Network, representing regions from across New York, for session one of a two-part series offering a peer perspective on HIV and COVID-19. Today's episode offers a glimpse at how a second pandemic affected people living with HIV and also covers food insecurities. Part two, which will air later on, will continue the discussion and look at related housing insecurities. So with me today are John Wakira, the chair, and Michael Rifkin, Don Trotter, Rich Fowler, and Angie Partap, who are all co-chairs. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Hello. So let's just dive right in. An article in AIDS Journal from December of 2020 showed that after the institution of a shelter-in-place ordinance for COVID-19 in San Francisco, HIV viral suppression rates fell substantially compared with pre-COVID, and that the odds of viral non-suppression are now 31% higher than before the pandemic. Rich, what are your thoughts on this and what did you see happening in New York? Thanks, Mariana. Uh, While I can't quote specific data, I can say that we all observed that COVID-related restrictions brought on a loss of many supportive services and limited access to clinical resources. Particularly for my circle, the loss of in-person support groups and community collaboratives left a void. Dawn? Thanks, Rich. Um, A decline in overall number of patients having routine lab work completed during the pandemic uh, shelter in place could be due to telehealth versus in-person healthcare, fear of exposure to COVID-19 limited to hours at laboratory and clinic settings, Uh, other barriers including childcare and insurance, transportation or housing status. Michael, did you witness similar trends in the city? Thank you, Mariana. I can speak from my own experience. Uh, I work as a case manager for a Medicaid managed care provider here in New York City. My department serves approximately 6,000 HIV positive members, as well as homeless adults considered to be at risk of contracting HIV across several lines of business, including our special needs plan. So prior to COVID, many of our staff, including myself, were on site at H&H facilities to connect with members and their clinical teams in person 
with peers such as myself focused on supporting members along, the, along with their CAM managers. So beginning in March of 2020, coinciding with the initial statewide uh, stay-at-home order, we transitioned to telephonic outreach. Uh, a structured member assessment was developed, which incorporated uh, questions geared towards, um, you know, like psychosocial questions, social determinants of health, including food and housing insecurity screening, in addition to the expected health questions, which included COVID symptom and HIV medication adherence screenings, behavioral health questions, which included a PHQ-9 and a NIDA quick screen, which are depression and substance use screens, uh, respectively. Two years later, we've largely uh, continued this model of telephonic outreach, focusing not only on addressing the medical and behavioral needs of our members, uh, but their social service needs as well. So I can't comment, comment on what the workflow will look like moving forward, but I can share that our work has been well-received by, by many. John, how would you describe what you saw in central New York? So what I saw in central New York uh, in, in this region um, is that uh, transportation, again, and you know telehealth services are very important. Um, I have a two-hour drive to get to my ID doctor, and um, having telehealth available during COVID made that um, much easier. I didn't have to travel. I didn't have to worry about you know being exposed to others. Um, telehealth and transportation services are very important uh, moving forward, especially if you know, we ever get around COVID, but it, they, those two services really need to be in place in order to help people continue with their medical appointments. Rich, do you have anything to add from the Finger Lake region? I can add that my agency had begun offering telehealth services to neighboring rural communities for specialty care in collaboration with a patient's primary care provider prior to the pandemic. This gave us an advantage over many organizations, allowing for a quicker implementation of virtual visits for the majority of our services. And I can assure you that this will remain an option as we move forward. A great example is uh, an HIV positive men's group, which I facilitate. At the beginning of the pandemic, we moved to a virtual platform. Uh, we tried conference calls, we tried a couple different virtual options and returned to conference calls because it gave the best access. Many of my participants did not have uh, an extensive data plan or the equipment to participate virtually. Angie, we often think about Long Island as part of New York City. So I'm wondering how your observations differ from Michael's, for example. There is not much different. Um, it seems like it's across the whole state. So Long Island is pretty much the same. And John, were similar results seen in Buffalo and the Western region? Uh, yeah, in Buffalo, we had the same issues. Um, 
with patients feeling isolated. So telehealth was put into place. Also, as Rich stated, I run a women's support group for those living with HIV. And I did try to do a online virtual support group uh, via Zoom, which really didn't work too good for the ladies because of, as Rich said, not having the, uh, con the correct, you know, um, Wi-Fi plans and things of that nature, and even for the clients to even know how to work those things. So, um, you know, trying to navigate through those and just keep the patients um, engaged so that we didn't lose people um, with their uh, care during that time. But uh, it was the same here in Buffalo as it was across the state. So according to the New York State Department of Health AIDS Institute in their ETE Summit poster presentation, COVID-19 negatively impacted social determinants of health, including food security, that contribute to disparities for people living with HIV. They note that restrictions imposed to stop the spread of COVID-19 limited client access to in-person services and curtailed the availability of food and meal distribution sites. John, what are your thoughts on this impact? So Michael and I actually had an opportunity to talk with Marilyn Tooney from the Ryan White nutrition programs um, with the State uh, Department of Health AIDS Institute. And things changed during COVID. She shared that uh, the data showed there was a 15,000 drop in the number of meals provided at different locations throughout the state and a 43% decrease in nutrition health group interactions as well from March 2020 through February of 2021. However, they learned that a hybrid model of in-person and virtual nutrition health education services for some, you know, it was they needed to be uh, flexible in other words. So for those um, people that were not able to go in, you know, to a pantry any longer, they were able to do things uh, via, you know, Zoom or virtual meetings. Right. Yeah. Marilyn told us that they also helped uh, offset the decrease in group activities by providing individual services virtually. Um, and they even turned to alternate educational materials like YouTube videos. Uh, they also helped to coordinate home delivery of pantry bags and they mailed vouchers to, to clients. I was surprised to learn that Instacart was found to be a cost effective and viable option for food delivery for some programs. I can speak from my own personal observation uh, about Instacart. So in New York City, uh, Costco offered early admission to essential workers, senior citizens, people with disabilities. Um, so I was surprised to see that the majority of people shopping in the warehouse during those early times uh, were Instacart delivery people. And then I even heard that the, the demand for service was so high in the early days of the pandemic that there were days long waits for delivery slots uh, from, from Instacart. Yeah, it was, it was really, you know, a really crazy time. Um, but I'm curious about what others saw in their respective regions. Rich, can you talk a little bit about your observations? Yeah. Uh, in talking, actually, in talking with the supervisor of food programs at a large emer emergency food pantry here in Rochester, we were surprised to learn that their food cupboard use actually declined for a period during the height of the pandemic. 
with COVID response dollars, many of their participants' needs were, other, were otherwise met through increased SNAP benefits, stimulus payments, or other resources. As John noted from the AIDS Institute data, they also saw a number of changes in their nutrition health education program with sessions moving from in-person groups to individual phone calls. And they also added home deliveries to their participants of both food and household supplies. And those were delivered by staff and peers. How about you, Angie? What did you notice on Long Island? So what I have noticed is, talking from a personal um, experience, I were at the pantry myself, and there were a very long line. It seems that um, the donations that they got and the little funding the pantries get, it seems like it doesn't reach um, their needs or the demands. Um, also, the, the, the cost of food have risen so high that I will also visiting the dollar store, um, which sell food, some food items. Um, there were many people there, long lines as usual, um, but most of the food items is not nutritious. So I even spoke to one of the store clerk and they said that they have to replenish the food um, items very often, which is unusual for them. And with all of that, I spoke to other people um, about these issues and these issues makes it very difficult for people who are isolated, who, are, who lives alone, um, the elderly, and um, yeah, in general, people who are isolated. And those are the things I have um, noticed and spoke to others about. What about you, John? What can you tell us about what you noticed in your region? So um, those choices also don't support any dietary restrictions like low sodium or diabetic diets. Um, during the COVID response in Buffalo, our pantry made a number of changes, uh, such as moving from prepared meals to food bag distribution. Um, the daily pantry process also changed with the elimination of the waiting room uh, required documents. So it moved to asking clients to just call ahead and uh, the food would be that normally would go to the schools in our area uh, was boxed up individually and given to families uh, with no questions of ID. Michael, what about in the city? What can you tell us about what you noticed there? Well, since the first cases were described uh, in New York City uh, in January of 2020, uh, the city was the state's COVID epicenter. So what comes to mind to me when thinking back to that time is the fear and uncertainty. Overnight, long lines and bare shelves became the norm at supermarkets. And you can imagine how a person facing you know, food insecurity on a daily basis felt. So while the statewide shutdown of non-essential businesses beginning in March of 2020 did slow 
the virus has spread, it also made some residents even more vulnerable to poor health by limiting access to care and services. Uh, in response to the effective statewide stay-at-home order, food and nutrition programs and pantry providers sought to ensure that clients, many of whom were people living with HIV, were able to self safely shelter in place with their needs met. So in preparation for this presentation, I reached out to the executive director of one of the large social service organizations here in the city that provides hot meals and pantry bags, as well as case management services to the elderly and underserved people living in all five boroughs. We talked about the day-to-day -day operation before COVID when the organization was operating out of locations in East Harlem and the Bronx, where they served buffet-style breakfast five times a week as well as dinner three times a week to between 100 to 200 clients uh, at each sitting. At the same time, homeless clients were also able to take advantage of a program which provided them access to hot showers, free laundry facilities, haircuts, as well as in-person case management services. So during the lockdown, the hot meal program transitioned to one uh, daily lunch served on a takeaway basis and uh, they averaged about 170 meals served per day, uh, which was actually an increase, uh, but at a great loss to their clients were the dignity affirming services that, was, uh, that were actually suspended throughout 2020. Uh, with regard to their pantry program, pre-COVID, uh, clients were given the option of ordering a customized grocery bag online, choosing from a, a variety of grains, dairy, protein, and a varied selection of fresh produce. Clients who did not have access to the internet had the option to arrive on site and meet with volunteers who would assist them utilizing tablets to create customized pan, you know, pantry bags you know, right on the spot. So at the onset of the pandemic, uh, the program was modified to provide pre-packed grocery bags containing items from the same four food groups. Uh, each bag was contain, you know, contained 15 meals per family member, uh, distributed every two weeks. Uh, nutrition services catering to senior citizens, those over the age of 60, uh, include seven to nine vans providing mobile delivery of hot meals daily. On average, over 15,000 meals are delivered monthly. In April of 2020, a new program was launched where the agency partnered with social service organizations serving underserved communities throughout the city to provide uh, delivery of pantry bags distributed from their respective sites. So to sum things up, in 2019, six and a half million meals were served across all programs. In 2020, the number of meals increased to 7.9 million. And at present, 8.7 million meals are projected to be uh, served in 2022. That's great. Um, what can you tell us about Central New York, John? So what, can, what I can tell you about Central New York is, well, number one, and from what Michael um, was just saying, it's, it's very different in, in upstate, especially in rural areas. Um, there's not the capacity uh, to do what they're doing in the city, which is a tremendous amount of work. Um, so one of the pantries that I've worked with for a number of years had to shift gears a few times during the pandemic. They were actually told at one point, um, you have to close your doors, you know, you can't have people coming in during COVID. 
So they had to figure out other ways of doing it. I know they were setting up uh, boxes um, in the parking lot and people were just driving through and they were placing the boxes in the car. Um, prior to COVID, it was a busy pantry, but I think during COVID, at the height of it, um, they were seeing 300 plus boxes per week being given out. Um, so at one time, uh, one, one day I saw a social media post that said, um, you know, they had free milk available for, you know, pantries. And so gave them a call and got the uh, pantry connected with them. So there could be dairy and other products included as well, because sometimes the boxes didn't have those items. Um, so even so, they were innovative and, you know, assisting people with getting boxes, um, they were able to actually provide a taxi if someone had come in and they were not able to get their, you know, food boxes home. Um, I also provided delivery service to several homes uh, during the height of the pandemic. I would actually pick up several boxes and drop them off at people's homes because, you know, maybe a single mother with toddlers at home or people with disabilities, elderly, um, they couldn't get in <clears throat> to pick up their pantry. So I said, you know what, I can do it. I'll just, I'll be really careful. Um, one of the things that we saw trending, um, you know, in uh, across New York State was um, there was a survey held and it was for people aging with HIV. And a lot of the responses um, from people who took the survey said they had problems accessing appropriate food or not being able to get their food. Um, that was really concerning to hear that, you know, especially the elderly population and those living with HIV were not able to access, you know, adequate food. Rich, what can you tell us about the Finger Lakes region? Innovation and flexibility were key. Uh, here at Trillium Health, prior to COVID, we had moved to an open food cupboard model, allowing participants to actually come in and shop the shelves uh, and look at the available stock with a volunteer to make choices that, of things that they would use rather than just giving them prepackaged bags. Uh, this allowed them to choose their preferred items. With COVID, we had to return two prepackaged bags and went through a number of logistical challenges, including a period where bags were only available for cur curbside pickup. As John noted, an individual would come to the door, we would either load the in stuff into their car or their cart or wh whatever means they had. Uh, transportation is an ongoing problem. Uh, our agency, along with others, received some COVID-specific funding, and we were able to use that to provide either a cab or lift services to get people to our offices to pick up food and or get them home when necessary. Staff and other departments also pitched in uh, because we had to stop using volunteers during the pandemic because of the regulations, guidances, et cetera. So, you know, we had our care managers and supportive service staff uh, helping out in the food cupboard as well as doing home deliveries. 
in March, we were actually able to reopen and return to offering some level of choice. However, as COVID trends continue to change, we're back to curb, curbside service, but are offering some choice at this point in time. So as many of the efforts put in place during the pandemic are ending and those COVID dollars are going away, I'm curious about what you all see as challenges and more importantly, what suggestions you would offer as we move forward. So let's start with you, John. So a challenge that remains today, especially in the upstate rural areas, um, is uh, we're coming to a place where we can maybe breathe a little bit easier, but, you know, transportation has always been an issue for, issue for many years. Uh, for a couple of years, like I mentioned, I would be picking up pantry boxes and delivering them, um, you know, to people's homes because they had no way of getting to the pantry. Um, I think together we have seen that there's always a way to work through challenges. And with some of the thought, with some thought and a little creativity, it also is beneficial to share your experiences with those who have seen successes in order to uh, help out those who may be struggling to provide services. They can always, you know, take an idea or something and tweak it and use it for their own use. Angie, what are your observations on Long Island? Um, one of the challenges is um, the cost of food. It's way, way high and less food items on the shelves. Um, even if they do have a few of one item in less than an hour, it's, it's gone. But um, like I said at first, um, the cost of food is very high so and a few pantries are now starting to open back um, and people still visiting the um, dollar stores. Don, what do you see as we move forward? Um, so, you know, one of the things that was activated during COVID was some of the extra SNAP benefits um, for people who were receiving them to get extra benefits to assist with food items and you know the cost of the stuff that was going up. So I'd like to see um, that maybe extended a little more. And also one of the things I'd like to get received restarted is a fresh fruit and vegetable truck that used to come to my job uh, once a month for the community to come and get fresh fruits and vegetables, which we know that in um, some of the lower class uh, areas that's hard to come by, fruits and stuff. So um, this, this service helped to support healthy food choices, of course, um, was stopped and still has not been brought back to this date. Um, our nutrition health program uh, made adjustments and began mailing out gift cards uh, and allowing the participants to mail back the receipts as well as relaxing some of the restrictions on what could be purchased while still promoting uh, healthy eating to our clients. This has been such an enlightening discussion. Before we finish up, John, could you tell listeners a little bit about the New York Statewide Peer Network and your weekly conversations? Sure, I'd be happy to. The New York Statewide Peer Network is a collaborative effort continuing the work of the former Central New York HIV Care Network. 
we do this on a statewide level. Our primary function is to provide a vehicle to ensure a safe space for sharing positive support, education, and advocacy. Every Monday, we host the New York Weekly Statewide Peer Check-In, a virtual meeting hosted via Zoom from 10 a.m. to 11.30. This virtual peer-led group was initially designed to provide a safe, open forum for support, education, and advocacy for people living with HIV across New York State. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, we broadened our focus to provide an avenue to connect, educate, and support those living with HIV, those offering services to enhance their lives. And part of it was we wanted to make sure that people did not feel isolated, especially that was mentioned a lot. Um, so, with, um, so if you would like more information, please email us at nyscheckin at gmail.com or reach out to one of today's panelists. Thank you. John, Michael, Don, Rich, and Angie, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about housing and food insecurities for people living with HIV during the COVID-19 pandemic. Don't miss part two of our conversation. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.